Welcome to Talking Shop, the podcast all about Adobe Photoshop. Brought to you by learningphotoshop.cc. Here's your host, Dave Cross. Hello and welcome to episode 24 of Talking Shop, the podcast all about Photoshop. In this episode, I share a chat I had with my good friend, photographer and creative artist, Joel Grimes. Well, folks, you're in for a treat. In this episode, I had an opportunity to sit down at Photoshop World to chat with my good friend, Joel Grimes, and we talked about personal projects and the creative process and creating a signature look and the joy of shooting all kinds of great stuff. Before we get to that interview, here's Joel's official bio. In 1984, Joel graduated from the University of Arizona with a BFA in photography and soon established a commercial studio working out of Denver, Colorado. For over 27 years, Joel has worked for many top advertising agencies and corporations across the globe for clients such as AARP, AES, Abbott Labs, Archer Daniels Midland, Arizona Office of Tourism, AT&T, Comcast, Goldman Sachs, Hewlett-Packard, Hyatt, Kodak, Procter & Gamble, Sony, and many more. Over the years, his assignments have taken to every state across the USA and over 50 countries around the globe. In 1990, Joel produced his first coffee table book, Navajo, Portrait of a Nation, which received a number of photographic and design awards. Driven by the creative process, Joel views himself as an illusionist, creating portraits larger than life. There is no face on the planet that is the same, and my vision as an artist is to capture that individual uniqueness through the creative process. Joel is also an ambassador for this process by teaching workshops and lectures across the country. I feel that by being an open book with my process, I have the opportunity to inspire others to follow their dreams and passions to create. Joel currently has a photo studio located in Old Town, Pasadena, California, where he resides with his wife, Amy. Here's my chat with Mr. Joel Grimes. So we're here with Joel Grimes, who graciously agreed to sit down here at Photoshop World and chat about various things. So thank you for doing this. Thank I you, appreciate Dave. it. So the first question I want to ask you is there, for me at least, Joel Grimes appeared on the scene because you had developed what I would call one of those signature looks, which I'm sure most photographers dream of because it got to the point where you'd look at a photograph and say, that has to be Joel Grimes, That's just crazy. because of the yeah. style of it. Right. And it was, to me, it was a combination of lighting and a, a bit of stuff you did in Photoshop. So for the photographers in our listening audience, what would you suggest if, if, if that's a goal of someone is to kind of move towards finding a signature style, how might they take that approach well it, it the thing that we all think about is that there's these rock stars in the industry and they set the trends and a uh, trend I, I could never be a trendsetter I mean I, I would have thought that and so you don't really think about it you just think well oh, there's a cool idea I'll, I'll kind of practice that or you know learn how to do that and you're always tend to be a follower and and so um, and I, I would say that's okay but but if I told you you could be a trendsetter, would and you and you said, well, how would you, how would you do that, right? Well, so I, I back when I was actually very busy shooting uh, commercial work, I didn't have much time to do any testing. I mean, you're working every day, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I remember asking a photographer, um, how many self assignments do you do? And he said zero. Unless someone pays me, I'm not picking up a camera. <laughs> and and at the time, I was doing well. I'd do some a few tests here and there, but. Um, I remember thinking about that, and I thought, you know, my best shots really come from my testing, uh, you know, self-assignments. Mm -hmm. And so I started doing more self-assignments, and then about the time I 
developed that three-edge lighting thing uh, technique, um, the, the economy kind of did a dive, and I was turning 50 years old. And so I'd already, you know, a, a couple times sort of reinvented myself, but um, I realized the value of re reinventing myself. But I said to my wife, I'm not done yet. I think I can come up with a look that, you know, I can repeat and get it out there. And I stumbled across this three-edge approach, and it was really not because I saw a photograph or anything. I mean, I knew there was um, like edge light, uh, edge light. I always did cross light with one, you know, with one light with a fill card on the side, uh, or natural light filling mm -hmm. a little bit. Um, and then I did a uh, the boxers that went to uh, the Olympics, the Olympic USA boxers. Uh, I did one of the boxers. I put an edge light. I never had done it before. I just thought oh, I'd try it, and I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. And then it kind of stuck in my mind a little bit. And I ordered another little, small little box. So I had my standard soft box then i ordered a beauty dish which I, I didn't you know i heard beauty dish beauty dish and i thought well i don't know what to do with it so i took it i i shot a couple pictures of one of my kids and i said this thing sucks and i, hook, I put on a hook for two years uh, in my garage and then um i i i thought okay i want to just try something totally different i've never done before so i brought this guy in and i put the beauty dish over the top of the you know the over the lens and i got those two edge bo uh, boxes and i tried something and, and i and i was like I really like this, right? So um, my first shot was not very exciting, but then I went out and I took that look and I beat it into the ground. So when I say this, and, and I, and I I'm at maybe not now, but up until about a couple of years ago, I probably shot more three-edge lighting portraits than anyone on the planet, meaning that that's because I see the value of repeating it over and over and over and then getting the stuff out there and branding myself with that look. And so um, I say to anyone that if you take an idea, doesn't have to be the most brilliant idea in the world, but it's an idea you like and you have to stick with it for two to two, really I would say three to five years. But if you're a genius, you, it, it still takes you two years. But right. I'm, I'm no genius, so it takes me longer. <laughs> but if you take anything and you repeat it enough times, it will uh, you'll become a, you'll become a master of it. Uh, that look will uh, be refined to point where people look at it and go, "Oh my gosh, I want to be like that photographer." So it's really about repeating the process more than anyone else. And and I think that applies to anything, including obviously people who do work in Photoshop. One of the things I'm always telling people is, you should practice. That's you right. Know, photographers practice all the time, but That's yet. Right. Photoshop users tend to only use Photoshop when they have a need, and right. I'm always advocating same kind of idea. Some people use Photoshop to create, or Lightroom to create their look, and they might experiment and apply a preset and go, well, that looks pretty good, but to me, it's like spend a bit more time, experiment, right. keep trying things, and get some feedback, and you know, try to develop that style again by that repeat practice. Well, and you always end up doing it a little different than say, let's say you came in and said, hey Joel, here's a three light approach, and I looked at it and I go, I like that, and then I went out and started shooting it. Well, eventually what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna add the Joel Grimes something to it, because that's who I am, right? Mm -hmm. It's easy to do something I like, it's a lot harder for me to do something that you like. Right. So I always say, follow your intuition, do what you like, and you, what you like will bring you down a path that's unique to you, and, um, but you gotta do it well. And I, I think that, I always say, if you wanna be a, you know, a, a, a juggler, and you wanna j have a show in Las Vegas, you know, I just walked past the Jerry Fader, uh, gal uh, what is it, a theater, yeah, right? right? Yeah. So he practiced the, you know, his, uh, what is that, Ventriloquist, yeah. yeah, you know, he, he practiced until he got in 
Yeah, he, he's, he's funny, but he, to where he got to where he got his own show, and then now he's a theater named after him, right? Mm -hmm. Because he did it more than 99.9% .9 of all people on the planet. And so, yeah, it's, it's the, well, and here's the other thing, too, that, that I, I would say this, and same with, same with Photoshop. When I, when I was doing my composites, I would say that 90% of all my composites I could do in about three to four hours of retouching time. Mm -hmm. So from the time I brought it, sat down in front of the computer, to the time I finished. That was my attention span on, a, on any given retouch. Now, if I turned around and did another retouch, I could sit there for another three to four hours, but I can't do an eight hour on one image. I just sure. can't do it. Mm -hmm. My personality, my brain just starts to get like <laughs> overloaded with the same, you know, like I'm re I feel like I'm taking and beating something into the ground too much after a certain period of time. And sometimes it takes a break. You walk away from an image, come back and go, oh, okay, hey, I'm going to, I did that wrong. I'm going to change a few things. But a three to four hour retouch is, is, is kind of my attention span. Now, as I got better at not cutting that things out, uh, extracting subjects, I got better at other things. My stuff, I could do a little more complex, but I still, my limit was three to four hours. Mm -hmm. uh, now, as I get, I'm getting older, I'm, I just, I'm, well, I'll be 62 coming up here. I've noticed that my, re my attention span is getting shorter. And, and that's understandable because as you get older, you're like, you know, and you just kind of like, yeah. So right now, my attention spans about an hour and a half to two hours. So I'm not doing hardly any composites. Um, I'm doing what I call plethography, which I'm shooting multiple plates in a, f in a, in a scene, and then I put them all together letter in, in, in Photoshop. So, I, so what I do is I create a look or a body of work based on my attention span. Mm. And there's a reason why I do that is because for me to compete in the marketplace, I have to do it hundreds of times <laughs> or if not thousands for me to get it and compete in the marketplace sure makes sense that's the only hope i have i can't, i'm not brilliant enough or talented enough to say i could do it 50 times and rock the world i can't mm -hmm. so at some point my attention span may be an hour <laughs> and i'll go okay i'm going to read just what i'm doing to keep up right. with my attention span and that, that makes so much sense because i think too many people get success where they're let's just say they take a photograph, they open it, they do some work in whatever it is, Lightroom, Camera Raw, Photoshop, and say, wow, I love that, and they're, they feel satisfied because they've got an image. And that's great, I mean, that's, you know, you print it out, hang it up on your wall, but can you repeat that? Can you develop that to the point where you can look at other photographs and say, oh, this, this other photo could have that same look, or I could be out in the wilderness somewhere and think, one of my philosophies is I, try and think ahead to Photoshop. So if I'm somewhere shooting, I'll think, knowing what I know about Photoshop, I'm gonna take the photograph a little bit with that in mind. Sure, absolutely. And, but even then, anyone can have success once. <laughs> you, know, yeah. I mean, you can end up with a photograph that looks great and if that's your goal, but I think for people that wanna either establish a name or just even for their own self-satisfaction, that idea of doing it many times is something we need to be reminded of. A body of work always stand stronger than one single incredible mm -hmm. image. Sure. And so um, now I didn't have a photojournalistic background, so I'm not, uh, I was not taught to be a storyteller. I had to learn that. I did a book on the Navajo. I spent two years in the field. And, and at the time, that was brutal because I'm like, uh, my, my attitude was, oh, my gosh, the same subject over and over and over again. Well, I learned that was back when I was, about 33 when I started that, so two years in the field, so mid-30s mid when I finished that project. 
that was a huge uh, maturing development in my photography, you know, and style, whatever, or approach to things. And I learned that a body of work stands stronger than one killer image. Mm -hmm. So um, now I look at a body of work. Now I hope a killer image comes out of there somewhere that people go, oh my gosh, that that's just a rockin' image. But really it has to fit in the body of work. And sure. um, so any gallery, that's if you want to be a, you know, in the fine art gallery scene, you're not going to walk in the door with 12 killer uh, pictures of different subjects, you, unless it's a, a retrospect of someone's life. Right. Uh, and then that's usually you're on oxygen or you've passed <laughs> away. But if you walk in and you say, I have, I have a, a body of work and here's the series, and maybe one or two of the images are really incredible and the rest are just you know, good images, you're going to get much more attention for that body sure. of work. Let's go back to the compositing for a minute because one of my favorite stories you told me before was when you were doing a lot of compositing and you know you'd post photos on it was Flickr or something and yeah. people would comment on oh this one looks realistic this one doesn't and there was one occasion where I think you posted a photograph that wasn't a composite right so can you tell that? well so you know uh, okay so the whole idea I, 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 I used to say this term you got to sell the fake right uh, so a photograph it is emotional experience to your viewer if it's not it's it falls flat and it's boring right so i say do you want to take boring pictures no i don't of course so when you do a composite you are the end result is creating emotional experience to your viewers my goal is not to create a what we'd call a perfectly te te technical image so like let's say i drop someone in and uh let's say the shadow isn't just perfect or the scale is just a little off or the perspective I shot a little bit too wide of a lens on the background. And, you know, let's say you could pick it apart. Let's say you were that good and you could pick it apart. And you could take probably 80% of my composites and pick them apart. You could find something in there that wasn't perfect. But what I say is that if you create an image that wins somebody over emotionally, they miss the mistakes. Sure. Right? Yeah. So... So not to be sloppy, but mm -hmm. to realize that it's not the perfectly technical extract or whatever that wins somebody over. Right. Now, I'm, I'm, I got a side of me that I like to be the technical side. There's a side of me that likes to be the creative side, right? I battle between the two all the time. But ultimately, I hope my creative wins out because sure. that's what's going to win my audience over. But at the time, people would – I'd post an image, and they would uh, – I think once I got to be known as a composite photographer, they would say, oh, yeah, well, yeah you're cheating, and, you know, and they'd try to tear you apart, right, which is fine. But they'd always say something that to, try, to try to find a flaw in the image to say, you know, you suck because you didn't do it right. Mm -hmm. right? And you have to, as an artist with a set of tools and slash photographer, um, you have to be able to take criticism and if if there's a valid criticism, you have to go and you have to go either rework sure. it or you know accept that uh, you're not perfect, right? And so that's another. I do a whole talk about that being an artist. But the point is, is at one time I, I, I posted an image that was my three edge lighting and everything, and it looked just like a composite. But it was done in camera, and I put it up, and then you know uh, one person in particular said, "Oh wow, this per scale is not right," and <laughs> and I'm like. This is not a composite, <laughs> you know. So, um, so that but what that tells you is that a lot of times that people when they people do critique you, they're not. They're just trying to be mean. Mm -hmm. They're not really, or they're jealous. Yeah, you know. So I also think part of it is this a perception thing. Like since you were had become known for composites, they expected everything they saw 
to be a composite, so then they looked at right. it through that eyes. Exactly. And I remember once where I'd, I'd experimented with green screen photography, so I posted one, I said, here's my first attempt at green screen, I'm pretty happy with it, and one per person in particular was like, oh, I can still see the green, there's green everywhere. And I thought, I, w I really wonder how much of it if I hadn't, if I just said, right. here's a photo, right. but because I framed it as this is green screen, so a little while, about a week later, I posted a, another photograph, and there was also green screen, this time I didn't say it, and he actually commented, that's better. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. Yeah. It's like <laughs> well, and so again, our humanity comes into play. We're all human. We all fall into a trap often that we get moved by other people's opinions. And I, and I think that, um, and, and I'm no different, right? I'm no different. But I've had to learn to be unshakable by someone's opinion. And I don't know if it's like, say, you have, you know, thick skin. Mm -hmm. But it's more of realizing that my job is not to win over every person, but to go and have fun at what I do. And if 2% if, uh, of the people on the planet like what I do, I'm probably a success, <laughs> right? So it's not winning over everyone. Sure. And it is my personality is I want to win over everyone. But I have to be able to recognize I can't win over everyone. I have a slide that's, you know, no artist can win over or is, is loved by everyone. So my goal now is, you know, to create what I love. And if I personally say I will hang that over my fireplace, then I've succeeded and I don't sure. care what someone else thinks. Yes. And that, I'm so glad you mentioned that because that's, I did some portfolio reviews a while back and someone came in, they almost seemed defeated before they'd even you know, opened their iPad to show me images, and I finally said, have you printed any of these and put them in your house? I said, oh, that one is my favorite. I'm like, well, there you go. Yeah. Done. And my brother did that. He he uh, helped him print some big uh, images that he was doing. He was just kind of dabbling in photography, and, and we got the frames. I said, okay, now sign it. And he goes, what? <laughs> sign it. You're the artist. And he was really awkward signing <laughs> his print, and he still hangs, they're still hanging in his house, and, I, and every time I walk by, I go, hey, look at that artist. Hey, that person signed it. <laughs> you know, but um, in that, you know, talking about it being an artist, that's a, that's not an easy thing uh, to do. Uh, when when I went through school, I went through the fine arts, but um, I, I don't think, unfortunately, I don't think any school actually prepares you for the real world. I think some schools try better than others. I think the only thing that prepares you for the real world is being in the real world and getting beat down and having to go and pull yourself back up and get through it. But you know, as a parent, I watched three of my boys are in L.A. trying to be filmmakers. And when they get beat down, we want to rescue them, right? Sure. And I tell my wife, no, let them get beat down. Because I, I have a statement that I, I believe is really true. And that is, until you've been beat down and rejected or whatever to the point of tears and you want to quit, you have not really mm -hmm. hit the real world. Yeah, makes perfect sense. And you have to go through that. Mm -hmm. And then once you get to brought to tears and you get through it, Nothing ever hurts like the first beat down, right? Makes perfect sense. Yeah. Sure. All right, we're going to continue this chat in just a minute, but first... It's time for the tip of the week. This week's tip is about scrubby sliders. If you're not currently using them, it's a great way to change values in a field. All you do is hover over the name of the field and scroll left and right. It's way quicker than any other method to change the setting. Sometimes the numbers move too quickly or not quickly enough, so you can use a keyboard modifier. 
hold down Option or Alt to slow down the speed of the scrubby slider. Hold down Shift to speed up the movement of the scrubby slider. Great way to change the values in any field really quickly. With short tutorials, in-depth multi-lesson courses, and live Q&A sessions, LearningPhotoshop.cc provides the Photoshop training you need to succeed. All right, we're back with Joel Grimes. Now, we've been talking about things like being an artist and so on, but one of the things that has always impressed me about your side of things is you're doing everything you do, the teaching and everything else, but yet you're still doing commercial work. And I remember you did a seminar with me uh, many moons ago, and you talked about that a little bit, and talked. And people, I think, were surprised to know with someone with your level of success that you still were constantly knocking on doors and creating marketing pieces. And so talk a little bit about that aspect of balancing, I'm doing my work, but I'm always looking for the next client or the next project. Yeah, I think the, uh, being current in, in the marketplace, not just, let's say, with a technique that you say, the, the three-edge lighting technique, whatever, but to be able to, to use that in a commercial setting and get paid really well for it is a, a big reward. A lot of those pictures I may not may not end up in my portfolio because they're you know specifically for a client. But it's nice to have to be in a role where you're shooting and you've got a big name client and it's the the hustle the the the, the pressures there and it keeps me current. Uh, I I thrive actually on the pressure of being under the gun or under the, 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 you know, the watchful eye of an art director, creative director, and a client and all that. I also, when I talk about lighting, because I feel like I've cracked the code to lighting, uh, you know, master the, 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 take the mystery out of uh, lighting, um, I love to be on set when an uh, art director says, um, okay, uh, you know, that's a little too edgy of a lighting. Can we soften that down? I go, absolutely. And when one, one little te teeny move movement of, or adding a different modifier, it's softer and it's like seamless. It's like where in the old days, trust me, I would be going, oh no, <laughs> how do I do this, right? But now I have this confidence not again, not in my talent, or we call it raw talent or whatever, in the fact that I have repeated it so many times that I know how to solve a problem on the spot. Sure. And it doesn't mean I, there's never a problem that I, you know, I get thrown a little bit and get a little nervous, but most of the time when there's a problem, it's not a panic city, a, a, you know, right. I'm not panicking at all. Something you've been approached, yes. you've, you've seen before. I know how to solve it. And so it's fun to be mm -hmm. on set. There's no pressure. I did a campaign for Fiat Chrysler Automotive. We had the cars, trucks, and whatever in the field shooting with, you know, like a mock-up family and firefighters in a burnt-down forest. We had uh, a kayaker with a Jeep in the background. And all those, uh, you know, scenarios were pretty high-pressured. But with every, with every scenario, I had the confidence that if there was a, a whatever they threw at me, I could go, oh, no nope, problem, yeah. fix that. <laughs> and the producer at the very end of it said, um, and he produces a lot of car shooters, said, Joel, I've been doing this for 30 years. I've never worked around a photographer that makes decisions as quick as you do. Mm. And it really comes down to, again, not my talent, but the fact that I know, because I've done it so many times, how to change, make that change up. Someone asked me a question. So I actually now thrive in that, in that, mm. that uh, environment. So um, th the commercial side is great. The money is great. Like I said, if you can't ha handle the high pressure, then it's probably not for you. But a wedding is a high, pr high pressure mm -hmm. situation. Oh, yeah. In fact, I say that it, it takes more skill to shoot a wedding than it is an ad camp national ad campaign. Mm -hmm. But at any rate, um, I love the I love the high pressure there. And um, but as I get older, I, I think the the 
desire to have a billboard or a cover of a magazine or a double truck, you know, ad can you know, spread in a magazine or whatever it is. Walking, I've I've many, I've done this now where I get on a subway or something and I see a backlit display of one of my, you know, <laughs> when I photographed. Those were all great moments. Uh, and in fact, when I did the book on the Navajo, I had I had hadn't received a copy. I had seen the mock-ups of the book and then it got published and it got put into uh, uh, sent out to bookstores before I even got my first copy. And I remember walking in the Cherry Creek Mall in uh, Denver, which is a high-end, you know, snobby mall, and um, we walked around a corner, and there it was, a display in the window of this really nice bookstore, and my heart just <laughs> dropped, I can't you know, and it was the first time I'd actually seen it uh, and finally printed, but it was in a window, uh, and and that, that experience is priceless, right? So I've done a lot of those things now, and as I look back at my career, there's not really too much that I, I'm saying, oh, I wish I had, or I wish I could do this. So with that, well, I'll tell you what I want to do more than anything. That is, and I'll tell you the greatest joy that I get, bar none, is when I have a camera, tripod, maybe a couple lenses, and I go hike up into some beautiful waterfall, forest, or whatever, and I'm just going to shoot some pictures, and no one's around, <laughs> and it's just me, yeah. and it's just this, like, three hours go by, and then you go, I got my shot, and then you go, you know, it's like... That's the that's what got me into photography, right? Sure. So, uh, and I tell my wife that as I get older, those are the kind of moments I want to experience. You know, I, I, uh, so I have a goal, and uh, one of the goals I want to do is spend a couple weeks in uh, Yosemite in the winter uh, to get the snowfall mm -hmm. on the ground and get the El Capitan and all that. If you look at Yosemite pictures, and and of course I studied you know uh, photography and the fine arts, but Ansel Adams, Ansel Adams, you know, obviously uh, was one of the master photographers of Yosemite. And so I grew up with that. And I, and I, as I, as I get older, I think that's what I want is to go and spend, you know, a winter or a couple of weeks and maybe a month in you know, send me in the winter. One of the things that, that the disadvantage of this being an audio podcast is when you told that story about seeing your book, even now your face was beaming yeah. at the memory of that yeah. experience of seeing the book for the yeah. first time, which yeah. is, which is very cool. And I think as photographers and as Photoshop users, sometimes we get too caught up on what are other people doing and, and what makes for a good photo technically. And I had a, a similar experience where I was in Iceland for the first time and I was, I can't remember the name of the one of the many thousands of waterfalls, waterfalls yeah. but one of the more, the bigger ones. It's a little isolated, so there weren't any tourists there. There was just a few of us on this photography tour. And I took about, I don't know, three or four photos, and then I just sat there and went, this is amazing. Is, yeah. I mean, just the fact that I'm yeah. here. To hear the rush of that water. Yeah, and trying yeah. to describe to my family members, they said, you didn't take that many photos. And I was like, because I just was kind of overwhelmed for a minute of just the fact that I was able to do this. Yeah, you're in you awe know. of the, 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 the surroundings and the experience, the noise, the wind, the smells, mm -hmm. all that. Um, you know, when I, uh, the first time I ever pulled into Zion, I, had, I was at ASU uh, studying photography, and I had my little 63 Volkswagen van, and I came in through the backside of uh, Zion, and I come around the corner, and there's Checkerboard Mesa, and I'm like, oh my <laughs> gosh, you know, and I pull over, and I, you know, get my 4x5 out, and, and you know, those are the experiences that I think have stuck with me over the years, and when I have a, now when I have a subject in front of me, a beautiful model, or a, you know, when I was in Kazakhstan, I photographed this guy with a cane in his little apartment, and I got some beautiful those pictures. Those are moments too. But the thing that that I find now is that when I do portraits, it's a big production. No matter you know, it's it's like a lot of landscapes aren't easy either. But but when I do a portrait, it's got strobes. I got a, you know location. I got this you know, and 
landscapes for me right now is this moment of just peaceful release and absorbing that the joy of photography and I, I'm kind of drawn to that now mm -hmm. a little bit more um, so I'm hoping to get some trips in to do nice. that. I want to revisit just for a moment when you were talking about the car project where the the producer was like you know you were able to react so quickly one of my favorite stories that Tim Wallace told was in preparation for an upcoming commercial shoot he was in his own garage taking photos of his own car which was a, a nice car right. but certainly not what he was going to be photographing right. but he had this idea that it might look kind of neat to put a spotlight on the logo on the engine so he tried for about a whole day right. he sat there right. with different you know snoots and everything else and eventually came with something you really liked but then the part that, that I thought this was so funny and clever is the next whenever the, the commercial shoot was and there was a producer there that seemed to be, I guess, in, by Tim's description, a little full of himself right. about, I know what I want. Right. And uh, he said, I want something really different. And Tim goes, you know, I have an idea. I've never tried this before. <laughs> but let's." And of course, it came off perfectly on the first shoot because he actually had been practicing, but yeah. he made it seem like just right. sort of, right. well, let's just, I think I, I have an idea here that might work. And right. I thought, that's a good way to sort of bring someone down to earth a little bit, but at the same time, producing something and go wow that's really impressive well i i do what i do is like i'll have a uh, you know the creative director art director whatever and then the client and the crew you know and the whole thing and then i go to take my first picture and i forget to per turn my strobes on or you know my, my trigger mm -hmm. or something and i you know, click nothing happens and i go and usually my assistant says oh you got to turn the trigger on i go and i turn it on i go uh Oh well, this is just my first photo shoot, so you know <laughs> I'm getting getting used to the equipment. You know, and then I'm the a little nervous. Yeah, and the, the art director looks at me like, "What?" And the client's like, "Who did this guy you hired?" So, um, but uh, I guess that doesn't instill great confidence in your your you know <laughs> clients. But um, no, it's fun. Uh, so I always say, yeah, practice, 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 and then go and shoot and look like a rock star. If you don't do your due diligence of practicing, yeah, you look like a fool when it comes time to. Right, and I think I must relate to, like you kind of mentioned, when you first started doing compositing, you got the result you wanted, but it took a fair amount of time in Photoshop because you were still kind of developing the technique and understanding the tools for extracting, but then over time, at least that part got better and better yes, the yes. more you did. Yeah, well, so, and I, I've said this many times, and, and uh, you maybe have heard me say this, but I get often someone sending me a, an image saying, this is my first composite, what do you think? And, and, and usually I say, Wow, a lot better than my first composite, right? Uh, and, uh, but I always finish uh, by saying, I say, look, uh, do 300 of these and then send me your 300th and I'll critique it for you. And in nine years, no one's ever sent me their 300th. And I say, there's, there's two reasons why that. They never made it to 300. They gave up, they quit. Or by the time they get to 300, they don't care what I think anymore. <laughs> because if you do 300 composites, you get pretty darn good. Sure. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, well, anyone who's listened to any of my previous episodes of this podcast know I'm always harping on yeah. that people don't practice enough in Photoshop right. and that they right. Right. get so worried about deadlines and everything that, yeah, okay, but you have to find some time. And I think the perfect solution to it is personal projects, personal assignments. Because yep. when you're trying to do yep. something under a deadline, that's not the time to nope. try and learn nope. how these tools work because you're just worried about getting it done. So instead think of a project, even just a one-off thing where you're like, I want to create a 
whatever it is, a, a fantasy scene with a unicorn or something yeah. and think what would that entail and how would you shoot it mm -hmm. and then the elements in Photoshop and I think then you're a little more invested in it. So you're not just trying to do something for the sake, well, I, I took a landscape and I need to replace the sky, okay, but do something that's a little more personal. Well, and I would, I would also encourage people to think about this because I get a lot of people ask me questions and some of them are overthinking the process of creating an image. They want to, they want, they, they, what they believe is there's some deep philosophical statement that has to be made with a photograph. So, and I, I had this one friend of mine call me and he said, I got this idea, I got this, this, this boat that's gonna, it's like half sunk in the sand on this beach. I want this girl standing in the middle of the boat with a lantern. And I got this, you know, idea of putting a light, uh, uh, maybe a lighthouse in the background, you know, and all these, and he starts going through this whole thing and he's, and he's, and he's like, oh, what do you think? Do you think that's gonna work? <laughs> and I'm like, well, okay, I don't know if it's gonna work, but you're overthinking it, right? You, you, uh, you know, the fact is, is that maybe you simplify it and, uh, or you get at least point, or the, the first part done, which mm -hmm. is the exposure of the girl in the boat, and then later you think about, well, maybe I'll add a lighthouse in the background, whatever. You can add elements later, but it's like, I think, let the photograph just go, right? Don't overwork it. And, and you look at my work, it's really simple. And I think that's why I had such a great success early on with mm -hmm. my composites, because I was competing against, at the time, mostly illustrators that were compositing really complex scenes together. Sure. And I came along and just did subject background, mm -hmm. subject background. Even in my early ones, there was no full body because that creating a shadow around the feet is really yeah. difficult, right? So it was really simple, and I was it was like bam in your face portrait with the three edge lighting help mm -hmm. too. Sure. But it's like it was simple. And it's not overly thought out because I'm not uh, well there may be some people that can get deep and create some image that makes some great statement but I can tell you right now 90% of the people will miss the, the statement right. that you're trying to make. <laughs> unless you title it, you know, and, <laughs> exactly. and tell the whole story in the title. <laughs> So it doesn't matter. So don't overthink it, I guess I'm Makes saying. Sense. So, Joel, thank you so much for joining us. Before we finish off, where do people go to find out more about your work and your, your training? And Well, Joel, everything's been moved over to joelgrimes.com. And on there, you can also click and find my portfolio. It'll say portfolio of all my, what I call my showcase images. Uh, all the training there I did last year, I, I sat down. Oh, my gosh. Um, and part of it was uh, talking to you about Teachable and stuff mm -hmm. like that. Um, I set up uh, an academy. We, it took us 10 minutes to, to, to record all the tutorials. Came out to about 40 hours of training. But since then, we've moved away from the, uh, the membership-driven thing because it got so complicated to try to run that we went to just joelgrimes.com. You buy the tutorials. We bundle them up, and then they're downloadable also. So nice. you can... You can view them online, so if you just get online, you can view them, or you can take them and put them on your iPad later. So um, it's been a great, great uh, set of training. Awesome. Thanks again, Joel. really appreciate you taking the time to chat. You too. Thank you for having me. Well, that wraps up another episode. I knew this was going to be a great episode because from the first time I met Joel many years ago, we went to lunch having never met each other and just had an amazing chat. Uh, so I knew this podcast episode was going to be a great one. If you ever have a chance to see Joel speak in person, it's very well worth it. He's a very smart man, as you can tell, and has lots of experience, not just from the photography side, but also from marketing and talks about how to be an artist. Thanks so much for checking the podcast out this week. And as always, 
please share it with your friends. And if you have a moment to go leave a review, that would be very much appreciated. I'm Dave Cross. We'll see you next time. Please subscribe and tell your Photoshop using friends. Find us at TalkingShop.show. This podcast is not authorized, endorsed, or sponsored by Adobe, publisher of Photoshop.